people want to believe. We just tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it isn't so easy to understand? This is No God. Welcome to the No God Podcast. I am Micah, and I am here today with my dad, Tony Kafka. Hi, Micah. Glad to be here. Uh, we're just excited about helping people to know God better by knowing things, truth out of the Bible better. All right. And also here is my mom, Sandy. Hi. I'm here. So uh, today we're just going to dive right into our topic. What do we have for today? Well, a, a common question that people have is, what is sin? And usually it's a question that comes because they're concerned um, about, you know, what actions that they have taken in the last, you know, 24 hours or month of their life that they are wondering, you know, do they need to confess something to God or, or, or they might even be feeling guilty and they don't know for sure why they're feeling guilty. So this is a common question, just simply. So what is sin? I mean, have I, have I done a sin lately? That have kind I done of a thing. sin? <laughs> yeah, have I done a sin? Yes. That's a, that's a childhood kind of way of talking about it. So today we're going to list every sin possible? Oh, yeah, you know it. Yeah, no, not really. Actually, for uh, one study that I lead uh, in recovery ministry, I did try to create a list of sins just using the words out of the Bible, out of the New Testament even, kind of sticking to that. And the list was more than 100 words long that the New Testament uses to describe sin. And so, yeah, we are not going to do that list. Uh, although if someone's really curious about it, who knows? We could provide that somewhere. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but really, more to the point, we just kind of want to talk about the big picture of sin in our lives and what that actually means. And really, we're kind of jumping into the middle of the whole Bible and in the middle of of theological conversations. Because sin is bigger than just about me. But that is often where that question comes from. All right. So if we're ready to do it, I'm gonna. I just kind of like to take this approach. It's like I'm talking to a kid. In fact, I developed these three talking points in talking to children <laughs> because they don't have a lot of theological preconceptions that right, are going right. to like burden them down. And so, if a kid just you know understands that sin is something they don't want to be doing, or that they know that God doesn't like sin, then this is a conversation to have. And I think actually it's the it's the kind that can help a lot of us. So we can jump right in. Okay. First thing, and really we look at First John, which is a little tiny letter written by the Apostle John that's uh, toward the end of the New Testament. And in that First uh, John, I want to be able to just kind of summarize that for you really quickly. And so out of the NIV, it goes like this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so basically it's a reminder that everybody sins. And nowadays... Uh, a lot of people, a lot of adults just think, oh, sin is something that is like you end up in prison for. Right, right. Not just behaviors that you can get away with. And so that's part of it. But basically, as we think about that, everybody sins. And as we go through these three definitions of sin, I don't see how anybody can listen to this podcast and leave thinking that they have never sinned. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) That's kind of like... A side result of this is not the whole point of it. But let's just jump into the first one. In First John chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, it says at the end of that little passage, because it, it rehearses that same kind of line that we just read, it is that everybody sins, and this is what sin is about. But then 
it says everyone who breaks the law, and then it doesn't say of God, but that's the context of it. So anybody who breaks a command of God mm-hmm. sins. And we go, okay, that's right. But then John puts a little definition there in the sidebar. He says, in fact, sin is lawlessness. And at that point, he moves from just an action to more of the attitude behind it. All right. That rules apply to everybody else, not me, or that there are no rules at all. Okay. And so there's no, there's no reason to even have this conversation, whether or not there's sin. And so, um, and so I, I guess which direction do we want to run with that? Is it, what, what, what questions come to either one of your minds as we think about law is sinlessness, law is, is having the attitude that says, you can't tell me what to do. Crickets. Hold on a second. You sprung this on us. Explain that one more time. Since sin is breaking the law or having an attitude that says either rules apply to everybody else but not me, or that there really are no rules that are like universally applied in every situation. Sin is lawlessness is what John wrote. And so when we have an attitude that says doesn't apply to me, or I have a reason that that's not sin for me. What comes to our mind in that? What Have you ever thought of someone that has had that, even within ourselves? <laughs> it's always easier to say someone else. Right, right, of course. Our yeah, own easier just, like, to just throw someone else under the bus. Yes. I don't know, because I always, for myself, I always look at I do everything wrong. So, so you're very, so there. you're very I'm much, there, yeah. you're talking to two people that always assume that we're, we're probably wrong. Yeah. So, uh, so that's not, well, that's not an issue. so, so one of the questions, and then again, this is a whole nother topic, but just to th- put it out in front of us is there, when we approach, um, truth from God or commands from God as relative, that is, mm. well, there, there's some circumstances when this applies and other circumstances when this does not apply, or that it applies only to that group of people and not the group of people that I'm a part of, right. then that is in this realm of lawlessness. Because John wrote this little letter to believers, right, to people right. who were following Christ. But there's there is some things that would be relative, like... Uh, I can't think of any good examples, so here's a bad example. If you <laughs> give someone a brick that's building a house, that's a good thing. But if you give it to someone that's drowning, probably a bad thing. Right. But at that point, you're you're not so much, there's not a law against handing someone who is drowning a brick. Okay, let's just, I don't so think in any it... state in the United States or in the world has a law that says, don't hand a brick to someone who's drowning. Right, 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 okay. right. Yeah. Well, is lawlessness the same thing as rebelliousness. I mean, because I think of a lot of times... Or anarchy. My sins tend, you know, when I know what the Bible says, but there's times I'm rebellious about it, and I don't, I'm going to do it my way. But what's, how does rebelliousness and lawlessness... Well, they run in the same pack, but lawlessness actually is um, the, 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 the grabbing a hold of the concept... That either there is no such thing as law, that, and that's anarchy, okay. as you were yep. mentioning. So, sin is anarchy, and that's you know that's a good paraphrase of okay. this passage. That, in other words, there are no laws that should apply to everybody in the world. Well, when you have so many people that don't believe there is a God, 
Mm-hmm. Then there would be you. So there's what's the basis of all this? It says what's right. right well, and then and there's wrong. a there's a lot of different bases that people can right come up with come up and construct. With. Um, so I guess my 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 sticking point I'm having is uh, are we talking more about like just straight laws or the attitudes of people with sin because uh, like you can break laws that you don't even know about like the, you know like obscure laws are we talking about exactly. like legal laws or like larger truth laws well I believe I mean John is writing about God's laws and also we have to really be more even more specific and say the law of Jesus yeah. Which again, side you know, in Romans as well as in a couple of other places, but yeah. in Romans twelve it does. Okay, so let's go back to the brick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do that. So let's just break this down. So giving a brick to someone that needs one, good, good thing. Giving a brick to someone that's drowning, bad. Why? Why is that a sin? Why would that possibly be a sin? Well, Romans twelve, as Paul summarizes what God wants in people's lives, is that the greatest commandment is actually the whole law Mm -hmm. using that word. The whole law is summarized in this one statement, and I'm sure one of you knows this, I would hope. No, Oh, yes, but I'll let you say it. (laughs) Thank you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so handing the brick to the drowning man is not something that if you were the drowning person, you would want someone to do to you. All right. And so, therefore... That is breaking the law of Christ, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And actually in Romans 12, it does say the law of Christ is this, love your neighbor as yourself. It even, it's built on the assumption of loving God first. But when it comes to Christian ethics and Christian behavior and Christian definition of sin, the fundamental law that we have is to love our neighbor as ourself. And love God. Really. And to love God, but that's the assumption behind that well, I think it's statement. Yes, it is. Is yeah. it important to say that? Is that what you want to say louder? <laughs> Mom's whispering over here. <laughs> so this, so to kind of get it back to, I'm having this conversation <laughs> with this kid, and they are trying to understand sin in their lives, right? And I would say, you know, if they are willing to volunteer a behavior that they've done, like how they've treated a sibling or right. how they've treated a classmate or something like that. Then the question would be, so is that how you would want them to treat you? All because right. that is yeah, yeah. the application of that. And so, again, back to John's definition, which sounds very theological, sin is lawlessness. It really is, sin is always putting someone else behind myself. It is not loving my neighbor as I love myself. It is not doing unto them as I would have them do to me. So lawless, that's fundamentally. But when John is talking in this letter, he's writing to both people with strong Jewish scripture background right, right. and Gentiles who don't have that strong a background in that, but are learning New Testament ethics. And so John says, one, this is why everybody sins. Or this is why we know everybody sins. One of them is anytime you put yourself ahead of someone else in your decision making, you've sinned. Right. So okay. that's the lawlessness. Okay. So that carries attitude. It also carries, we need to understand what it is to do good for someone else. And again, I would say that our culture has plenty of examples where people think they are doing something good for someone when they're actually <laughs> doing something that is detrimental to that person's well-being. Like giving the guy on the 
on the corner money so he can go buy food, but that's not what he's going to go buy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you can tell, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you don't want to. Or even there's a, there, there is a tricky one because yeah, mm-hmm. you don't you don't know for sure. Right. So I mean, we we probably need to move along, but that let yeah. let that one kind of stand there as fundamentally it is that we are not doing the law of Christ, that we don't have that as the priority in our decision-making, our actions. All right. So we're ready for the second point, and that is sin is doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Okay. Mm -hmm. For example, let's go back to the guy on the corner asking for money. Well, I may give him money so that I can feel good about myself. Right. Uh, Or so you can brag about it later. Or that I can brag about it later. Or Instagram it. Instagram it. That's right. Ah, yeah. There. So it is. And so then we go, man. So that means anytime I'm doing something good for someone, doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but it's totally selfishly motivated. And the truth is, it doesn't even have to be total. It can be just like I'm getting something out of it. Right. You're getting something out. This is a transaction. And so at best, that's all it is. At worst, technically, it is sin. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so do, I mean, do we ever do anything that's not partially beneficial to ourselves? <laughs> well, I remember as a young youth minister in Oklahoma, um, one of the youth sponsors who had been a preacher, pastor, and then had moved out of that uh, role and into advertising, actually, uh, but was a youth youth leader, and he was the first person that, in a practical way, really laid that before me. And as, as I was trying to understand and teach biblical things to teenagers <laughs> and basically said he, his opinion was, no, you, you never do anything from perfectly pure motives. And I was inclined, I disagreed with him, but not strongly, you know, I, right. I wasn't arguing, but I was thinking, I don't, I don't think so. I think we can do, you know, and, and he said, no, it can never be. And mm-hmm. every year that I lived since then, I find myself coming more and more into agreement with that yeah. position. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, because if that. you, I mean, if you look like even like long picture, like if you do something completely selfish, selfless, but kind of in your mind, you want to create a selfless world because that'd be better to live in. Then you're kind of doing it because you want some. You want this to be a the way. Better things, world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, then again, yeah. on a, in a long form, like so, it, it's micro level. Maybe everything's selfless, but it's just, it's so hard to tell and we're complicated. Like we don't always know all of our motivations. Right. Which actually we, you know, this kind of a good point to just pause and celebrate that we are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made as it says in Mm -hmm. Psalm 139. Mm -hmm. That is the intricacies of our nature as human beings is very complex. Yeah. And so separating motives um, is difficult, and in fact, it's in Hebrews chapter four where it talks about that the word of God is living and powerful and active. It can even divide between spirit and soul. It can divide between bone and marrow, which is actually saying it can divide things that can't be divided. Right. And so the word of God actually then, I, my application of that is that it can cut in between my selfish motives and my pure motive of wanting to honor God and love my neighbor. Uh, right. That's why I think almost daily we have to ask ourselves and ask God to show us. Okay, show me the things that I did for the wrong reason today. I mean, you know, to be able to see it. Or when I'm getting ready to do something at times, I will pray about, okay, is this for myself or am I really wanting, doing this for this other person? 
and trying to, you know, listen to the spirit and yeah. We could. Uh, I was going to save this to the end of the podcast, but I think I'll just jump right in with this right. now. So, an application of this because this can. I, I had not really thought about it until just this moment. This could be a very discouraging little thing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Oh, well, wait till number three. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So it is that the confessional psalms are a good model, like Psalm Mm -hmm. 51 and so forth, where it says, you know, cleanse my heart, purify my heart, O Lord, Give me a undivided heart, which that's the dividedness of our heart, is that I'm doing something for myself and for someone else. It's a negative motive, a positive motive. It's a selfish motive. It's a pure motive. And so that we have we have no recourse except to just ask God to help sort that out. Well, I think maybe instead of focusing on trying to have completely pure motives maybe it's encouraging of just to try to move further on the scale wherever you're at like um you know let's just go with a giving a gift if you're giving a gift to someone but it's just you're just doing it because it's something you you like and you don't even think about what the other person's going to want it that's less helpful than if you really think about what the person might want even if it's not something you're going to love giving to them right well an interesting in philippians chapter one it doesn't it does, this is not a conversation about sin, but in that when the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and Paul is actually in jail at that time that he wrote that letter, um, he writes about some individuals who are preaching the gospel, and he says they are, they are helping people come to faith. Their motive was to make things more difficult for him in prison, <laughs> because they wanted the authorities to hate Paul even more. Right. So okay. they spread the gospel in the city so that the authorities would be annoyed and annoyed and annoyed more with Paul and be less inclined to be lenient with him. You mean someone used evangelism as a weapon? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Little known New Testament fact there. It is interesting how when we read through like epistles, we don't think about narrative. Like, because narrative is often contained in one or two sentences right. in the epistles. And that's another case of it. And then what does Paul say about that? He says, you know, they're doing this to hurt me. But guess what? People are actually believing in Christ and coming to faith. So, hey, it's a win. <laughs> and Paul's attitude was even doing the wrong thing for the... Do the right thing for the wrong reason. Yeah, the wrong. Thank you. The right thing for a negative, wrong motive. The good that comes from the right action can still happen. Right. But the person that's doing that is endangering themselves. They they are sinning. Yeah. Yeah. They are actually. But it can be encouraging of if you're having trouble separating all the things that you do know that good can still come of it, even if your motives weren't completely pure. And I think that's part of what we need to regularly be praying. I mean, that's what. Right. You know, the habit I try to do is that okay, bring good of even my lame efforts that are not right on track. Well, and I would say that even to even express that maybe even sim- more simply is a humble attitude that says no matter what I do, it's tainted. Right. It's like True. I'm giving a glass of water to someone that I know has some toxins in it. <laughs> okay, it's not, or, or at least it has junk. Not not going to kill them, but. It could be just, uh Yeah. But still, they needed a drink of water. The water had mud in it. Oh, uh, well, it's the best I can do. No, I mean, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah. <laughs> but even Ow. when I think, 
<laughs> no, but even when I think I have a pure motive, I do not know my own heart. Only the Spirit of God knows the true motives of my heart, right. the, the absolute motives. Right. Right. And so I think it's an encouraging thing to realize that as a believer in Christ, that we can do a right thing with in, inevitable mixed motives and still have a good outcome for the purpose that that good is being mm-hmm. done, like a gift for the poor can still help the poor no matter what my attitude is right but i do think this is a point a thing to plug something that i'm always trying to plug is the more that we're doing things with a group of believers whether it's two or three the more that could get leveled out because you'll have different so like my friends that really know me you know and we're doing could say to me could point out to me if I've got a wrong motive, possibly. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? We're, our right, wrong motives that, can temper each other so we that... We do things on our own all the time. We leave ourselves more open to being blind to right. our motives, I think. Yes. I think that's a great point because it because in good, open, honest, reciprocal relationships where we go a back-and-forth relationship, that a person who really cares for me will say... That's a great thing to do. Man, do you realize how you come across doing that? Yeah, right. That's good. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And so when we're talking about sin, you know, we're on this second this second aspect of sin, it's doing the right thing for the wrong reason or doing the right thing for mixed motives. Then we can see where there are some things that can help us to be able to live with that and still do right. the good that we should be doing. So are we ready for the third one? Ready for the third one. Third one. This is the one that is kind of a little bit of alluded to already in some of our conversations, but let's just state it out very plainly. And it is found in... How old is your Bible? Well, this one is... Well, look in the front. This one is the edition given to me in 1988 by the YouTube. Wow. Youth group in Sepulpa. So uh, for we're those waiting. of you that are listening waiting. and cannot see this Bible... <laughs> The it back has, is no longer held together. It has seen days. <laughs> it looks like somebody dropped it in a mud puddle. And I think you can remove most of the New out. Testament, which you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> or if you remove it, use only that. Oh, okay. Which you okay. remove. <laughs> anyway, no, really. anyway. It's very loved and used. Yeah, so let's move on. Uh, third reason. James. Yeah, third reason is in James. And again, this is one of those that little kids get it. And they are uh, distressed about it. Uh, uh, because it's sometimes the very first time that they've they've kind of heard this concept. Because think about the, as you're raising kids and as you've been around little kids, they want to know what they can't do, or they want to know the rules. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so in James, in James, we have this passage that is a pretty. I mean, James has a lot of great stuff, but one of them is where it talks about that anyone. This is a summary statement. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Ah, yeah. So, sin is knowing the right thing to do. There's no, there's no compelling reason to do it. In other words, I could just not do that and still not break the law. And nobody would know I and was nobody, not doing what I was doing. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I'm not going to do a good thing that gets presented in front of me, somehow I, be, I become aware of, well, this is a good thing I could do. I could go over and say hi to that person. Yeah. And then I just go, hmm, no. Yeah. That's sin. Mm-hmm. Little kids are, 
distressed about that. So you have to kind of have to be careful about talking to that with your small child. Yeah. Well, there's a, um, I mean, this reminds me of a story that my uh, pastor from Los Angeles, Irwin, told more than once. I believe it's in his book, Chasing Daylight, about how uh, he was at the beach with his young son at the time and saw a guy on crutches struggling to get up the beach and couldn't get there. And he was kind of just enjoying the view. So he just ignored it. But then that ended up really distressing his son, and his son, like, couldn't just sit there and get it. I think maybe that's partly why. So his son actually went over and, you know, helped him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's part of what maybe distresses the kids. They haven't started getting that social normative of not helping. Because right. most people are like, oh, it's his business. I'm just, this, is, this isn't this is a sin because you just you don't just go and approach someone. That's That's not the right thing to do. But the kid, they haven't learned all those normalizations of inaction <laughs> so they know they see all these things that could be done and aren't being done and that might be why it distresses them so much wow yeah they're they're filtering they're sorting that but but then jump ahead with a kid who grows up to be an uh, uh, adult that we nowadays call codependent yeah or an enabling adult yeah. and that is where people take responsibility for someone else mm-hmm. when they really need to wait to be asked to help or some other social interaction yeah, that yeah, calls yeah. that. So this again, it is a tough one. This is a tough one. And I think this is why this verse doesn't live in little memory cards. <laughs> um, who really wants to have to go moment by moment through life thinking and being aware of your environment and being aware of the people around you and thinking, what is a, what's good that I could do yeah. in this yeah, moment? Yeah. Because it, it isn't always clear. Um, to jump in another uh, direction, uh, an, another pastor that used to tell this example of kind of like seeing, it was supposed to tell you what your gift of service was or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. And it's a story, it starts out, someone brings a cake to an event and they trip and they fall and they drop the cake. And then what your reaction is is supposed to determine like what kind of person you are like do you take charge tell everybody what to do do you go make sure the person's okay do you immediately start cleaning it up do you go and get you know so there's all those and i was telling this to one person and she said oh well what i would do is wait for the person that dropped it to react and give them the chance to grow in the moment which wasn't even on the list that the pastor had. But I was like, that actually, I mean, it's, and it's someone that's done a lot of recoveries, worked with a lot of codependents. And, uh, that was their thing was they wanted to make sure the person didn't use it as like, take away the moment for that person to learn or the person not to be codependent and be able to rise to the action. So there is like a whole nother thing where like in her mind, running to comfort the person, that would be the wrong action. So then you just get really convoluted. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> wrap that one up, Philly. <laughs> well, first of all, let's go. Let's just kind of review where we are with New Testament teaching, and that is that G, that the Apostle Paul tells us, summarizes for us that the the command of Jesus summarized mm-hmm. the the summary of all his command is to love your neighbor as yourself. It is very difficult and sometimes impossible, actually, in a moment to have that lady, the person carrying a cake falls and they're, they're on their knees with a smudge of cake on the side of their face. Let's just say that. Let's not say they did a face plant in the cake, but let's say they got a little bit on it. Okay. And there they are in that moment. 
So for some people to run over and make a big deal about it, they're going to feel like they've been spotlighted in their fall Mm -hmm. and they want actually to be left alone. Right. They want to be able to pick themselves up and at least gather their composure. Yeah. And if they have someone near to close to them and relationally close to them who would then help them uh, say, so can I go get, you know, can I get some help to get this cleaned up? Can I, can, you know, whatever. And so it is, again, sin and living a life in Christ has to eventually morph beyond procedural rules for every circumstance in my life. Uh-huh. Right. Because that is not, loving your neighbor as yourself and it is basically impractical you can't make a procedure for everything that you might encounter in any given right day. right mm-hmm. and so the thing about when when a person asks is this a sin that question is often driven by a sense of either potential guilt or they want to have a justification for for their lifestyle right mm-hmm. You know, there's that whole spectrum in there. And so when we're thinking about, I see something good that needs to be done. I need to go do it. Well, one, if I actually did that, I would never even show up to work. Right. I mean, because I I would, you know, every step of the process, I could find something that I think is a good thing to do that isn't. And that would be chaos. And so that's not exactly the answer. But it is an awareness of trusting that as I'm going through my day and as I'm making decisions to, if I am employed, to go to my job. And so then it may be that, you know, this circumstance, I greet this coworker. In this circumstance, I don't greet this coworker because it would interrupt them in their workflow. Mm. And so it's it can't be a rule that says, you need to say hi to everybody when you walk right. into the workplace, okay? Well, doesn't it boil down to we have to be going more and more and just being led by the Spirit and staying you know, like in the serenity prayer, moment by moment, focused on God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And also actually focused on the needs of others. Philippians chapter 2 uses the, it, it's actually a great poem, great you know, like theological, religious poem, where it talks about that Jesus emptied himself and became a human being and didn't consider his own interests first, but... And then, then the teaching to us, the application to believers is, we should put the interest of others ahead of our own interests. And so that's a definition of good. Is, and that's a definition of also love your yeah. neighbor as yourself. And so when I'm going through a day, one, I am not God. And so I can't do everything that comes in front of me. Right. At least in the general, per, I mean... Right. Yeah. I mean, we have to be a totally isolated individual, which could happen. I mean, could I mean, there are many people who isolate themselves enough that there actually is no nothing that comes before their eyes or in their uh, immediate attention. But if anybody is reading news, if anybody is is talking to somebody on the phone, we become aware of things around us. And so then I think that, as Sandy was mentioning there, there comes a point then we have to actually touch base with God and just essence say, is this something I need to do something about? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that can be tricky too, because we can still kind of give ourselves just that mental quick out. <laughs> that's uh, nope, that's not me. That's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? In some cases, the lady who fell carrying a cake actually the best for depending on the lady. Let's just say that was my mother. Right. Well, there would be no reason for me to stand back and see what she's going to do, because I already know what I need to do for her. Right. And it would be to rush over 
to maybe shield her from a crowd, or maybe it would be to kneel down next to her and say, "Can I, you know, let's let's get up. Are you okay? Can right. you stand up? You know." And and again, we have we have procedures for like medical trained people that they kind of gently insert themselves into a situation where they think a person might have injured themselves, yeah. and let that person have an opportunity to communicate to them what they need, and so. The codependent person using this verse would just jump right in and start doing what they thought was the best thing for that person without any input from that person. Right. And the good thing would actually be to connect with that person Mm -hmm. and see what the next step is. Yeah. So, you know. (laughs) So, I mean, so so a lot of it is not only, you know, uh, as we were saying, doing to others what you'd want done to you, but also learning to be in tune to what others need that maybe isn't what I need. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so again, that's a learning process. So we're not going to get it right every time. And so one of the things that I always, uh, I, I reflect back on in my training and my, uh, being raised as a Catholic is one of the, uh, aspects of the confession now called the, the, uh, act of reconciliation. But, is a little phrase, at least, that I learned. I don't know if it's still used. It is, for these and all of the sins of my past life, I am sorry. Now, that sounds like, oh, I don't even have to think about details here. (laughs) You know? But there is an aspect where when we come to any moment when we are talking to God and confessing our sins, that we have to be able to say, I know I've done a bunch of sins I'm totally unaware of. Right. In the sense of I didn't match up to God's perfect will for my life, but that doesn't mean that I my, my faith is derailed. It just means that I'm still just that growing person, and will always be that way. So, things that we can do is one conversations in uh, for us as believers in Christ when it comes to forgiveness is to first of all recognize that our sins are done away with our our. Uh, forgiven and paid for through the death of Jesus Christ. That's again in 1 John, it's in chapter 2, verse 2, uh, that he is the one that has paid whatever it is. And there's different translations. They're all the way from the traditional theological translation of the, using the word propitiation to more uh, words that are used in the newer translations now, which is basically just says kind of payment for sins or did, you know, took care of our sins, some type of phrase like that it's used. But so first of all, we have to always recognize that no matter what my sins is, my sins that I'm aware of, my sins that I am less willing to admit to myself, Mm -hmm. that they are forgiven in Christ Mm -hmm. as I confess them. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it's confession of ones that we can specifically remember and confession of those that we are still in denial of or unaware of. Right. So that'd be one thing. So that's, that takes us to first John one nine, which is if we confess our sins, that is to God, confess our sins, he is faithful and just, or faithful and, and righteous, reliable. He is faithful, he's reliable to forgive our sins. So we have forgiveness and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which is the solution, is is the kind of the seedbed, the the compost pile of growth. Mm-hmm. Is that all of the things that have gone wrong in my life, the Lord can cleanse them in the sense of renew them and create that as a, a bed for us to grow into better actions in the future. 
And so that's the promise. When we confess our sins, we also are gaining the benefit of growing from our past sin behaviors and what we've learned from them. And so then the other thing is it matches up with what Sandy was bringing up just a little bit ago is James 5.16, which is a very simple statement that just says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. So that. So that you may be healed. That's actually the rest of that verse. And so confess your sins to one another, pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that healing is not always necessarily, but can include physical healing, but is also the healing of our souls. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that's the problem. If my soul was entirely healed, yeah. theoretically... <laughs> Which it won't happen in this world, right? <laughs> well, there, there, are, there are fellow believers who do believe in a full, complete mm-hmm. sanctification in this lifetime. And maybe we should at least discuss the, the ways that, that that's viewed. Uh, but the goal is that the, we need healing mm-hmm. of our soul in order to be less and less sinful in our behaviors. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how we can come to know God is by re- realizing that sin is part of my existence, that I, at least I hope that I am growing out of that sin. There are some things that I can do about it, which is to confess my sins, to admit them to God, to admit them to someone else, to ask them to be praying for me, and then to realize that all of life, every moment of the day, uh, I don't have to be aware of my sins, but I know I need to know that everything that I think, that I do, the attitudes of my heart, all are uh, influenced and tainted by sin, but yet at the same time can be redeemed mm-hmm. by growing in Christ. And that my past wrongs and my past even sins, as wrong as they are, and I may be paying consequences for them, they can become something that God can work out for good, which is right. another promise in the Bible. In our lives and other people's lives. Yes. So sin is not, uh, sin is something that we just have to own up to and, uh, and to be able to realize that God has the solution for us mm-hmm. and that we have the opportunity to humbly help others and to just be a part of other people's lives and know that it, we're not going to get it right every time. Right. If you have any questions, just email us at nogod at tonykafka.com. That's K-N-O-W-G-O-D at T-O-N-Y-K-A-F-K-A dot com.